0: So my friends, if you remember last week, uh, we celebrated the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. And on that day, I said um, that the Epiphany, which we celebrated now two weeks ago, actually consists of three feasts. There are three feasts that make up the Epiphany, which is the manifestation of the incarnation of the Son of God. It's the visit of the wise men, which we celebrated two weeks ago on January 6th. Then it's the baptism of our Lord, which we celebrated last week with the voice of the Father testing uh, to Christ's divinity. And then it's this third mystery that we only get every three years, um, but is the wedding feast at Cana. When it, John even says, Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs at Cana in Galilee and so revealed his glory. This is, this is still the epiphany. Even though we're wearing different colors and everything, it's, and we don't have any music like we had the last week, it's still the epiphany. We're still celebrating God's manifestation to us. That God doesn't just come to a secret and then stay a secret for the people who are able to discover it. That God loves us so much that when he became man for our salvation, he revealed himself to us. He made himself known to us. For our sanctification, to reveal his glory so that we can believe in him. And this particular gospel passage, the wedding feast at Cana, is uh, very beautiful for a number of reasons. St. John, the author of this gospel, St. John is believed to have written the gospel, um, his gospel, at the end of his life probably around the year 90 or so. And it's believed that this Gospel is probably the last book of the New Testament to be written. That the other ones were written probably in the 40s, 50s, 60s, maybe as late as the 70s, but then John writes in the 90s. And it's like the last thing he does. He wrote the book of Revelation a long time ago, earlier in his life, now he's writing this. This is it. This is John's swan song. This is the swan song for the whole New Testament. And John is being very intentional about every detail of what he's telling us. And we actually lose something in the reading as the church presents it to us today. This comes from the second chapter of John's Gospel, but we miss the first four words of the second chapter, which are so important, and give us the context. The first four words of chapter 2 of John's Gospel that precede and set the context for this passage are on the third day. On the third day. And what does that mean? Well, if you read the first chapter of John's Gospel, you start the days as they're accounted. You have the first day when John the Baptist is there with, um, with Andrew and John the Apostle and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then you have the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day, and then on the third day, right? We get seven days that John is... If you're doing the math... This is the seventh day. If you have the next day, the next day, the next day, then the third day, we're getting, or the next, it's the math, it works, it's the seventh day, okay? Whether or not I can do math right now at 10 in the morning, it all works, okay? On the seventh day. And that this is very intentional, that there's a recreation going on in Jesus Christ. There's a recreation happening. That this is it. St. Paul refers to Jesus as the new Adam. Jesus is the new Adam. Humanity is being recapitulated, St. Paul says. The recapitulation in Christ. He's the new head of humanity. And so this is the seventh day of this beautiful story of now what is a new creation. And then when you look at it as the seventh day, then It makes sense our Lord's response to his mother. Right? Because if my mother has you know, today I'm sure there are a lot of mothers saying you need to go out and do some shoveling. And if any one of those kids would say, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Right, that wouldn't go so well. But when you look at it in this context of a new creation, that Jesus says Jesus the new Adam says to Mary, the new Eve, woman. She's the new woman from the book of Genesis. She's the new Eve. And all of creation is getting restarted here in our Lord Jesus Christ. And John is, it's not a mistake, right? John doesn't make mistakes. He's referred to by the church fathers and by the medieval theologians as the theologian. They just call him the theologian because he's very intentional and theological in everything that he's writing. And so now what's happening? With this new creation, what is the beauty of the new creation? It is a wedding. It's a wedding feast. Again, it's not just any, whatever event Jesus was at on that third day was going to become the setting for this story. No, it's a wedding feast. They go to a wedding, but what is the true wedding? What's being mystically symbolized here? The wedding of our Lord Jesus, the bridegroom, and his bride, the church. Mary is the mother of the church. Actually, most of the times when you see Mary in the gospel, she can stand for the entire church. And so now you have the new Adam, Christ, the bridegroom, and his bride, the church. And it's a mystical wedding feast and that this is what we believe. This is what really happened when God became man and was made manifest to us. That he wedded himself to us. Who is the bride of Christ. The church. The church is the bride of Christ. We are the bride of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a real thing. that act, it's, it's a truth now that Jesus is starting all of this. John says in other places, like in the book of Revelation, the wedding feast of the Lamb has begun, and his bride is prepared to welcome him. That's us. That's the church. The church is the bride of Christ and we are prepared to welcome him. He's the bridegroom. The church is the bride. It happens at a wedding. But it's not just the wedding of whatever two people were getting married in Cana that day. It's the more mystical cosmic wedding. Jesus calling his people to himself. Binding himself to them and them to him. Through the vows. Through this wedding offering. And then where is this wedding most perfectly in... in, all in history when this happened, when is the actual moment of this true uniting? Because again, it happens throughout the Incarnation when God becomes one of us. But then where does it happen most perfectly? Where is it most visibly shown? When Jesus gives himself for us on the cross. With his death upon the cross, Jesus Christ gives himself for us. And That sacrifice was preempted by our Lord the night before. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely and I take it up again, he said. And so the night before he was to die, he took bread, giving thanks, said the blessing, broke the bread and gave it to his disciples, saying exactly the truth that happens in marriage. This is my body given up for you. This is the reality of what marriage is now in a Christian context. This is my body given up for you. The Mass now is the wedding feast. We are present at the wedding at the Mass. At every Mass, this is, this is why coming to Mass is so important. What else are we going to come out in the middle of an ice storm for? Just to see friends? No, most of them probably aren't here. They couldn't get out of the driveway. Um, just because it's a good gathering... No. To do a Bible study, I could read my Bible at home, right next to a fireplace under a blanket. I didn't have to shovel for that. Why do we come to church even in the snow? Why does the church, the Catholic church, not cancel mass anywhere? Why? Because it's a wedding. This is a wedding feast. You don't cancel a wedding. Some very good friends of mine got married two years ago, and it was a blizzard. It was a blizzard on the day of the wedding. Right? Uh, actually, a number of people didn't make it to the church. It was a total disaster. It was a mess. I wouldn't have been there if I didn't live next door to the church. Um, but it, you don't cancel the wedding. It's a blizzard and they're getting married, and people were there. People came because it's a wedding. You go out in the snow for a wedding, and then we drove from Waterbury to Wallingford, again in almost whiteout conditions, to go and celebrate because it's a wedding. And you drive in the snow for a wedding. We today, well you, not me, I live here, um, but we, Catholics everywhere, throughout the entire country. A friend of mine up in the Rochester Dice, says, they're getting 20 inches of snow. And he had probably only 25 people at his earliest mass. You drive in the snow to get to a wedding. This is what the mass is for us. It's not a social gathering. It's not the Bible study. It's not just a time for private prayer. It's a wedding feast. It's our wedding. We're the church. Christ is the bridegroom. And what happens here at every Mass was made present for us at every Mass in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The representation of that sacrifice for our salvation here and now, that's worth coming to. That's worth being at. This is what we believe. It's a wedding feast. And so we celebrate, we hold Sunday worship, Sunday Mass in such high esteem. It's a real thing. John's intending to tell us this. It's a recapitulation. Jesus is the new Adam. The church is his bride, symbolized by Mary, the new Eve. This is it. This is the fount of new life in the church. God makes himself manifest to us in this way. And now every Sunday we share in that manifestation. When we, the Bride of Christ, approach the wedding banquet. The wedding feast of the Lamb. When our bridegroom's body and blood is shed for our salvation, when we receive him and are made whole through his life, given spiritual life through being nourished with his own body and blood, my friends, what a joy it is to celebrate the Holy Mass. No condition can keep us from this joy, this privilege to be at our own wedding, the wedding feast of the Lamb.